Hi church, great to see you again and uh, really good to be with you in your lounge room at home. It's good to see you and uh, I trust you're doing well and thanks for tuning in this morning on this very special day, Resurrection Sunday. What a, what a great day it is, one of the most important days. In fact, I would say the most important day in our Christian calendar. So we're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about the resurrection Vice President George Bush, as he was then, uh, represented the good old United States uh, and he went to the funeral of the Soviet leader, Leonard Brezhnev, and something very significant happened and he tells the story. He reports that his widow, Brezhnev's widow, uh, stood beside the coffin until seconds before it was closed and then she did something quite amazing. Just as the lid was about to be closed, she reaches down and she makes the sign of the cross on her husband. They're at the seat of atheism. Um, and the wife of the man who was leading it all, um, she leans down and she makes the sign of the cross. And she hoped that there was a life after death. And she at that moment, believed that life was re best represented by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She, hope, she was hoping amongst hope that there was a resurrection. And uh, she hoped that death wasn't final. In fact, I would put it this way today. She was hoping that the irreversible was actually reversible. You know, I learned uh, at a pretty early age um, about some things that were irreversible. Uh, we had a family pet, our dog, and his name was Spot. And uh, good old Spot had a bad habit of chasing cars. And uh, of course, the inevitable happened. He was chasing cars out the front of our home. And I put it this way, Spot became a Spot. And uh, I remember, you know, when we're burying poor old Spot, I remember just that sense of the irreversibility of the situation. And there was no coming back from that. There was, it was irreversible. Well, today is Resurrection Sunday and somebody who was dead came back to life. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And Easter today holds out to us the awesome possibility that the reversible, it's the possibility of the reversible of the irreversible and uh, that not even death was final, not even death was the end and uh, and even death itself could be reversed. And so the resurrection is the great hope of our Christian faith. In fact, our whole faith rests upon our belief in the resurrection. I would say that Resurrection Sunday is the most important day on the Christian calendar. You see, Christmas, Jesus was born. Uh, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, uh, I did that. I was born. Uh, so were you. And uh, my daughter's a midwife, and I believe it's a pretty common occurrence these days. People are born all the time. Uh, Good Friday, we've just, we've just uh, remembered Good Friday, and it's about Jesus' death. Well, people do that all the time, right across the world. Every day, people die. People are constantly dying, and uh, one day, I, I probably will too. And uh, so there's nothing unique about being born and about dying. But Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, there's something incredibly unique about the resurrection, somebody who was dead coming back to life. You see, our 
faith is built upon the belief that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born, he lived and he died, but it didn't end there because on the third day he rose again. That's our firm conviction. And uh, the resurrection is a belief that not grew up within the church over a long period of time. No, the, the church grew around the, the, the story and the account of the resurrection. Uh, it is the event. Um, it's, it's the event of Christianity. And if, if um, all we had was the teachings of Jesus... Uh, the, the church wouldn't have got out of the tw- out of the first century. Would never have got here today. Uh, think about some of the teachings that Jesus had. It was you know, love your enemies. Well, that's going to draw a crowd, isn't it? Um, pray for those who persecute you. Well, I have enough trouble praying for the ones that I love. Forgive every time. Seriously, that's what he was teaching. Yes, it was. Uh, anytime somebody asks you for something, give it to them. Um, If it was just the teachings of Jesus, uh, we wouldn't have had Christianity today. And if it was just left up to the disciples, if it was just about the disciples, his followers, um, we wouldn't have had Christianity today. Um, In fact, you know, after Jesus was uh, killed on the cross, his disciples were gone. They were AWOL. Uh, This was was a movement without any momentum. Uh, But then the event happened. The event, the resurrection took place and suddenly they all come back. Uh, The disciples that had gone in despair and despondency, they all come back and they said, we believe. They said, we saw him die and then three days later we had a meal with him. They were totally convinced of the event of of the resurrection. You see, it was the resurrection that catapulted Jesus out of the first century into today. And it was the primary message. It was the, the, the constant theme of all the messages that were shared, that Jesus rose from the dead. The church would not have been the church without the resurrection. Listen to what Paul says about it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 to 19, listen to what he says. Um, he says, And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is mine. (laughs) And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And listen, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life, key verse, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Why are we to be pitied more than all men? Why? Because we've built our entire life. We've put a lot of stock in the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. There's something worse than no hope. It's false hope. So the resurrection is incredibly important to our faith. So for that reason, I want to take just for a moment today and just have a look at it a little bit more closely. But firstly, what does it mean to be resurrection? When it talks about the resurrection and to be resurrected, what does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's, it doesn't mean that um, resurrection is not just a surviving influence. 
You know, it's a bit like someone wearing a, a T-shirt that says Elvis lives, kind of like, you know, he survives, his influence survives. I remember years ago um, working at a house in Melbourne and uh, we were working in, in this lady, this lady lived there on her own and I was working with my friend and uh, we had to get under the house to um, do some plumbing work and there was no where to get under the house from outside the house. The only way we could get under her house was in her passageway. She had... She had a, uh, a, a cover, I can't think of the word off the top of my head, but we had a, a manhole cover that we could lift up and get under the house that way. And we said, look, we've got to get under the house. Um, she says, oh, please don't, please don't take that cover off. And we said, why not? She goes, there's a body under there. I was kind of like, there's a what? She goes, there's a body under there. And so Craig, the guy I was working with, and I, we look at each other and we said, well, look, we're, commission, we're housing commission plumbers. We actually have to get under your house. Um, and she's like almost pleading with us not to take this manhole cover off. And so here we are both very tentatively taking off this lid and sort of like we pull the lid off and lying. She was right. There was a body under there. It was a big portrait of Elvis Presley lying underneath the house. And so when Elvis died, she'd put his uh, portrait under there. She'd buried him under her floor. And a whole house was filled with memorabilia. So in her case, um, the influence of Elvis certainly lived. But let me tell you, Jesus is not just a surviving influence. Um, nor does it mean the resurrection of Jesus was like a, a temporary resuscitation. Uh, people who are clinically dead can be brought back to life. We know that. Um, and Jesus also brought back to life some people who were well and truly dead. We read how he, uh, he rose from the dead, uh, Jairus' daughter, um, the son of the widow, um, and probably most famously, Lazarus. And, uh, you know, they were miracles. They were incredible miracles that Jesus did. But the difference between them and Jesus' resurrection is this, that they all died again. Just think about that. Poor old Lazarus, here I go again. Um, but the fact is they all died again. It was a resuscitation. It was a temporary thing, but not Jesus. Not Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was this. Jesus' resurrection was firstly, it was an objective historical event. It took place in a certain time. It, took, it happened in a certain place and a certain time. In fact, you can visit the empty tomb today. Um, it was a physical event. It involved his physical body. They didn't bury a personality or a, or a force. They buried a body and it wasn't just a personality or a force that was raised. It was a physical body. Listen to what Jesus says when he appears after his resurrection to his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he says, Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts do not have bodies as you see that I do. It was a physical event. But most importantly, Jesus' resurrection was not just a natural body, it was a transformed body. Um, it, it had features, it was recognizable, but it was a transformed, glorified body. It was no longer a mortal body that would die again, it was an immortal, eternal body. So that is what the resurrection of Jesus was. But so the question then we need to ask is well, did it really happen? That's the main question here. Did it really happen? Because we have so much riding upon the resurrection that if you could disprove the resurrection ever happened, well, then basically you could, you could discredit the whole Christian faith. And uh, there's been people over the years that have tried, but one man particularly stands out. His name is Frank Morrison. He was 
an agnostic. He was a, an, and a journalist. And uh, he attempted to write a book refuting the resurrection of Christ because that was his plan. He thought, if I, can, if I can refute the resurrection of Christ, I'm going to silence the voice of Christians. So after much investigation, his, however, his opinion changed. And he actually became a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is how he describes what happened. And this is what he says at the uh, preamble of his book. He says, This study in some ways is so unusual and provocative that the writer thinks it desirable to state here very briefly how this book come to take its present form. In one sense it could take no other, for it is essentially a confession. The inner story of a man who originally set out to write one kind of book and found himself compelled, listen, compelled by the sheer force of circumstances to write another. It's not that the facts have altered, for they're recorded imperishably in the pages of human history. But the interpretation to be put on the facts underwent a change. And he wrote the book called Who Moved the Stone? And you can check that book out if you like. So he discovered, he, in, his, in his investigations, what he found actually convinced him instead of the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And here's what he discovered. He discovered that Jesus died on a cross and, uh, and he was dead. The Romans, there was no, this wasn't, you know, he wasn't just unconscious. The Romans knew how to do crucifixions. He was dead. Um, the body was taken down and it was put in a tomb. And when the body was then put in the tomb, there was a, um, a big stone that was rolled over the front of the tomb. And then over that stone was called the governor's seal, uh, kind of like either chain kind of metal or, 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 or big ropes that were kind of like embedded in the rocks and then joined with clay with the governor's seal. And uh, to break the governor's seal was, was a, a very serious offence indeed. And then each side of the tomb, there was guards, Roman guards, because um, Jesus had made claims that he was going to be resurrected and the Jewish leaders who were some of the main drivers that uh, wanted Jesus to be killed on the cross, they wanted to make sure that this body did not disappear. And so then three days later, history records, um, not just the Bible, but all kinds of uh, contemporary history reports and records that the tomb was empty. And so Morrison began to investigate how, the, how that could possibly have come about. And so he discovered, he, in his, this is the way he went about it. He, he basically uh, come to the conclusion there were three main interest groups, three ways that the body could have disappeared. The first were the Jewish leaders. They were one interest group. Now he looked at them, he soon discarded them because he caught, thought they have no motive. Um, you know, in fact, it was against everything that they wanted. They wanted that body to stay where it was because that would have quelled the whole Jesus uprising who believed he was the Messiah. And uh, so he put them to one side and then there was the Romans. And as he looked at the, the possibility of the Romans, he decided too that they too had no motive. Um, they were there as keepers of, the, of, the, of the, upholding the laws of Rome. And uh, for the Roman soldiers to even be involved in that wouldn't have been, you know, they were guarding it on, uh, on the risk of their own life. Um, so he soon come to the conclusion that there was no way that the Romans would have moved the body. And then he come to the disciples and he thought, well, actually, they would have a motive because they had followed this man for the last three years of their life. Um, he had claimed that he was, a, he made all kinds of claims about himself and they could have thought, okay, we're going to get that body and we're going to show the world that uh, this man was who he said he was. And so he began to think about them actually stealing the body of Christ. And so firstly, they've got to wait for the Roman guards to have a little snooze. And then while the guards are having their snooze, they go over and they shift the rock 
And then they run into the tomb and they grab the body of Jesus. But no, wait, they don't just run with him all wrapped up in the linen as he was. They stop and they unwrap his whole body and put the linen back nice and neatly. And then they run off. And as he began to think about that, he thought it's absolutely ridiculous to think that the disciples would have stolen his body. But then he began to look at the disciples' lives And then he thought there's a reason why even more why the disciples wouldn't have stolen his body. Because did you know 11 of the 12 of those disciples went on and died for their belief. They died martyrs' death believing for their belief that Jesus was a resurrected Lord. They believed to the end. Now you might get one person dying for a lie, but to get 11 out of the 12 and the 12th guy, John, he died on an island called Patmos as a prisoner. So all the disciples basically gave their life for their belief that Jesus was resurrected. So in all of his, uh, all of his investigation, he came to the conclusion that the only way that Jesus' body could have removed, been removed from that grave was that he was resurrected supernaturally as Jesus said he would be. And here is actually what did happen. Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 to 10 records that it says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for the Christ who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so... That's exactly what they did. They, they run and they tell the disciples and then a little bit later we read how Jesus appears to the disciples. Um, he literally just appears to them. And according to the Gospels, um, Jesus appeared to over 500 first eyewitnesses. Paul records that over 500 people saw him with their own eyes after the resurrection. And the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were, were all written by people who who had first-hand eyewitness experiences of the resurrected Christ. And that was their message. He's risen. We've seen him. Um, Just about three months after this event, we have Peter, um, the disciple that had denied Jesus and had had gone back fishing. and, And suddenly he saw a resurrected Jesus and suddenly his life was transformed. And about three months after that all happened, he stands up in front of a crowd of of you know, multiple thousands. And uh, he says this, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Listen, for we are witnesses. We saw this with our own eyes, for we are witnesses of this. This wasn't hundreds of years later that this belief about a resurrected Jesus grew up. It happened there at the time. And the easiest thing would have been if you wanted to disprove the fact that Jesus was resurrected, you just could have gone, hey, Peter, we have a body. But no, they didn't. And so here we have people in the same time, in the same time frame, who were eyewitnesses. And it was at that time that the church launched and, and gained momentum as people truly believed that Jesus was the risen Christ. So he is risen. What does all this mean? 
Well, it means a lot of things, but let me just give you a few. It, it, it assures us of his claims. Jesus made lots of claims about himself. He claimed to be the son of God. That was his, his biggest one. He says, I am the father of one. And had he died and stayed dead, uh, his claims wouldn't have been verified, but it, it, it assures us of his claims. He is the son of God. Uh, he's who he said he was. He's the Christ. Um, it assures us of God's forgiveness. Uh, we, we read earlier that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Um, I want you to know that the fact that Jesus was resurrected and that he was indeed the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Um, it, it, Jesus is the vaccine for the world. Jesus is the vaccine for the virus as we talked of, of sin as we talked about on Friday. And, uh, and if we believe in him today, our sin is forgiven. So it assures us um, of his claims. It assures us of forgiveness. But it also assures us of the power that he has in our life today. You see, forgiveness is about our yesterdays. Um, but we need God's power in our life for today. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says the same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It takes a lot of power to raise a dead man. The same power that raised Christ from the dead shall give life to your mortal bodies. You see, the resurrection is not just to be believed, it's to be experienced. And the power of the resurrection lives in us today, the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, God the Spirit that raised Him from the dead. When we invite Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our life today and we have a power at work. We're not just victims or we're not just powerless or we're no longer just helpless. There's a power at work in you. He can take someone who's cruel and make them kind. He, he can take one, someone who's selfish and, and cause them to become unselfish. He can take someone who's immoral and cause them to be self-controlled or bitter and make them better. Um, someone who's unloving and make them loving. You get the picture. I think a, a great example of that is um, John Newton a slave trader who made his money in importing slaves uh, you know, out of Africa and bringing them to England and selling them. Uh, he, he one day has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He had a conversion experience and he went on and he wrote the song that many of you would know. It goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why? Because the resurrected Jesus is not just to be believed, but he's to be experienced and John Newton experienced his power. And then finally, it assures us of God's victory over death. Wow, our victory over death. Our final enemy is, is death. It's, death is a universal event. Um, we're all going to die. Uh, Australia has a 100% mortality rate. That might be news to you. We all have a terminal condition. It's not something we like to talk about. But, I'll, but, but the resurrection tells us that ultimately death is defeated. It's our great hope. The resurrection gives us the assurance that Jesus triumphs, triumphed over death and so too will we. Let me give you some scriptures. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's the key. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he says, do you believe this? In Corinthians, it says, When perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death is defeated because of the resurrection. You know, Mrs. Brezhnev, when she made the sign of the cross, she was hoping for a resurrection not being the end. She was right to do that. And it's our hope today. It's, and it's not just our hope, as in like just we hope so. It's our confidence today. The resurrection changes everything. It reverses the irreversible. And the resurrection can change your life as well. I just want you to take a moment and have a listen to Mark's story about how the resurrected Christ changed his life. Hi, my name's Mark Pender. Uh, I was a drug addict when I was uh, a young guy. I, um, from the time I was 15, I was a surfy bum on the Queensland coast. Started taking uh, hashish actually first uh, and developed into marijuana, went into mushrooms, magic mushrooms, then went into, uh, when we couldn't get those drugs, it went into uh, heroin. It wrecked my school life. I was a young guy still at school, still taking drugs at school, my peer group. Just a little bit prior to that, my father had died. I had no rudder for my life. I was, I couldn't communicate how lost I, I felt at the time. And so I, I dived right into uh, the drug world. So at, at this period of time, in this, in this massive confusion that w- what my life had turned out to be, Linda came back into my life and, and uh, an, an old ex-girlfriend and um, she came and knocked on the front door and said, can I come and see you? I need to talk to you. I've got something to tell you. And we'd been on a little bit of a spiritual journey together and, you know, spiritual hoo-hoos. And she started to, to, talking to me about Jesus. And I just, whoa, I just, the hackles on my back just went right up. And I just started, like, hating her. And I don't know what, why I was doing that even. And, and she was looking at me and just, and she changed. There was something about her in her eyes. There was, there was a calm that she didn't have before. There was a, a peace around Linda that she didn't have before. She was full on. She said, can you come in with me up to the Sunshine Coast and meet these people? So anyway, we, we drove up to these people's farm and they all, I thought they were a cult, honestly, because they all had the same look in their eyes, this shiny, happy people look, you know, shiny, happy people. And, and the kids had it, the, the, Roger and Daphne had it. And, and they were, I just thought they're all on a drug, and, but it's like a happy drug. And they were just so friendly and so nice. And Daphne pulled me aside and started talking to me about Jesus and said, have you read about being born again? John 3, 3 to 3, 7, you know, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I said, look, I was brought up in Anglican. I know all this beep, you know, and, and didn't even blink an eye that I swore. Anyway, she, she started talking to me about this. And, and I just remembered the night before Linda had turned up, there was a party at my place and there was about 20 people all on, off their faces on drugs. And I just, just totally lost it. I was sitting in the kitchen going, this is beep. You know, I, I can't, if there is a God, show me, do something. And I forgot that I had said that the night before Linda had turned up. And I went, <clears throat> this is, um, this is really weird. And, and I was so confused and so lost and so desperate at that time that I, I said to, to Daphne, look, I'll give it a go. And she took me outside and I said a prayer. I said, Lord Jesus, simple prayer. Come into my life. Make me born again. 
I ask forgiveness for my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And she was all excited. And I was, nothing changed. No bells, whistles, you know. The sky didn't open and the hand didn't come down and say, blessed Mark or anything like that. Or my Anglican upbringing. And, and I went, okay, I'm going to give this a go. I was waking up in the morning and I was crying. I didn't wake up that next morning crying. I woke up that next morning, 1983 in May, and I woke up and I felt a strange peace. And I felt a presence with me in the room that I hadn't felt since I was a little kid. And I was a little bit scared and I was wondering, geez, this this can't be real, can it? Can, can this God thing be real? Can it be real? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Like, I just thought it was a fairy story, you know? But I felt a peace in my heart. So anyway, I went to uh, Baden that night with Linda and it was a, uh, a born-again Anglican church over at Baden in Brisbane. <clears throat> and Reverend Bowie was there. And I liked his name straight away because I was a Bowie freak. He called my beloved, and he was a little Indian man. And um, he, was, he was preaching the gospel. And he was talking about being born again. And he was talking about forgiveness. And uh, it, it resonated with me. It jarred with me because I'd been beaten up when I was 16 at a 4IP concert in Brisbane by a group of Aboriginals. And, and I, I, I believe I was a little bit racist. And um, this little brown man, I just went up and grabbed his hand and I said, God, take this away from me. And that night, I felt a total peace and I felt something lift off my shoulders. And, and I felt like a burden was released in my life. And anyway, we went back home, Linda and I, and she was all chatty chatty and laughy laughy. Anyway, I, I got up and I was making a cup of coffee and I was standing beside Linda and I turned around to her and I said, hey, I didn't realise I was taller than you. I always thought you were the same height as me. And she said, yeah, yeah you always walk around stooped like that and your hair over your face and you, you walk around and you never give people eye contact. And she said, look at me, you're looking straight at me. And I could look into her eyes and, and I could see the love of God there. And, and, and I didn't understand it. And I didn't understand that, that Jesus had died on the cross for me 2000 years ago. But it didn't matter because something had been lifted off my life. I never took drugs again. 9th of April, 1983, was the last time I had a shot of heroin. And my whole life changed. And there's one thing that there's a scripture that um, in Corinthians, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And what that means is that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, we're idiots 
paraphrasing it. We're morons. We're crazy. I would rather be taking drugs and partying out on the street and living my life to the damnest mats. But I met Jesus. And my life has been changed from 1983 onwards. I never took drugs again. I never went back to the methadone clinic. I stopped taking methadone like that. It was a miracle. I didn't have to go through any detox. I didn't have to go through any rehab. Jesus reached into my life and took away my darkness, my confusion, everything that was holding me back from seeing the truth. Our eye, my eyes were blinded. That, and it's so true. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that is what we all can have. And you can have that too, just by saying, doing what I did. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I am a sinner. Make me born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and let me live my life for you. Let me cross that threshold. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks, Mark. What a great, what a great story that is. Um, I guess I want to ask you the question, do you believe in the resurrected Jesus? Um, not just not just the historical Jesus and not just the Good Friday Jesus, but do you believe in the resurrection and not just do you believe in the resurrection, but have you experienced the resurrection? Has that brought resurrection life to you? You see, Mark experienced that. He, what, what he experienced was the resurrection life. He, it, the, the power of that was working in his life. And you know what? You don't have to be you don't have to be, uh, your tes- testimony or story can be so different to Mark's. You don't have to necessarily be a druggie or you might be the most law-abiding citizen uh, that walked the planet. But I believe every one of us is born with that need for a relationship with God. And we're all born, we're all born broken in some way. And we all need the forgiveness of God in our life. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, he, he died for the sins of the world and he rose again for our justification, the Bible says, a legal term. We've been, we've been, uh, pronounced, we've been pronounced not guilty. We're forgiven. And that's for you and I today. This is why Jesus died on the cross and why he rose again, so that we can actually be forgiven, that we can be in relationship with God in heaven. And so you can do that simply by asking Jesus into your life. It's a simple prayer, just like Mark said. You know, he prayed a prayer and never really heard any angels singing or, or a voice from heaven. But it's a, it's a prayer of faith and it just simply is just praying. It goes a little like this, just Lord Jesus, come into my life. And in fact, why don't you pray it now if you'd like to? Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you to come in. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to come and live in me. I invite you into my heart. Please come into my life and change me from the inside out. I believe in you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. You know, Jesus said in Revelation, he said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice opens the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with them. And that's what that's what that prayer was about. It's you saying, Jesus, I'm opening the door of my heart to you. And I pray today 
if you prayed that prayer and, and you meant it, and uh, I, I encourage you, there's, there's a little button on your uh, on your computer that simply says, you know, I want to receive Jesus. Just press that, and someone will be in touch. And we're not gonna, we're simply just, we just want to help you. Um, just find out a little bit more about that. We're not gonna do anything weird or strange. We just want to help you with that wonderful decision. So, folks, thank God for the resurrection. What a what a wonderful thing it is, and uh, and I, I trust that. In fact, just before we close today, I just want to pray for all of us that today that you would know the power of the resurrection in your life today. You know, we're going through some difficult times, and I know for many of you, it's really, really not easy at all. And I just want to pray today that the power of the resurrection, that that same power that raised Christ from the dead, shall quicken you, will give you strength and power today for you as you walk through this time. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for the power of God to be felt and known in the lives of your people today. God, people struggling in their health, people struggling in their finances and people struggling in family relationships or conflicts or whatever the need might be today. Father, I pray that you would give them a power that they don't have in their own strength. Lord, that the resurrection power of God would be seen in their lives today. We receive your power. We thank you for the same power that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in us today. And so, Father, let it be seen and evidenced, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk again soon.